Thank you, Ashley. Good morning, everybody. Oh, I sound hot. My voice, not, not talking about myself here. Uh, hey, good, good morning. For those of you that I've never met, my name is Prentice, and I get the privilege to be the lead pastor here. And whether you are here in person or online watching through our live stream, welcome. Uh, and again, happy Father's Day. I know that uh, just like Mother's Day, uh, it, it's a complex day for some. Uh, but with that said, I just wanted to make sure that those of you that are celebrating and honoring your fathers and uh, may today be such a blessing uh, and a joyful day for you. A, a quick fun fact that Father's Day uh, in the church st- statistically is the, the, the least attended Sunday of all of the year. And so for those of you that made it this morning on Father's Day, congratulations, you broke the status quo uh, and we're so glad you're here. And if you're watching, same thing. I'm so glad that you're tuned in, uh, watching online on a day uh, that is seemingly the least attended Sunday of the year. So uh, there's a lot happening this week. Not only is it Father's Day, uh, but I was just told that today is summer solstice. Like today is the first day of summer. Had I known that, our coffee hour would have been in Fremont. So uh, no? Okay, good. Well, I'm glad uh, you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, we are going to the corner store for, for, for coffee after the service. Uh, and lastly, and a bit more on a serious note, uh, this weekend was Juneteenth. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, but uh, a significant day, not only for uh, our, our black brothers and sisters, but for our entire country and really all our whole world. And so I hope that we had an opportunity to recognize what Juneteenth was all about, and we'll, we'll talk about it in a second. But uh, before we start, let me pray, uh, and we'll get started. God, thank you so much for the fathers, uh, for the men that have become mentors, for those that uh, have taken in uh, children that are not their own. There's so much gratitude and joy this morning, and we acknowledge that there's um, hurt around this day as well, and trauma and grief. And so, God, in all of that, would you just meet all of us where we need to be met? And we thank you for your grace, your compassion, uh, and for being our Heavenly Father, the perfect Father who loves us, and is with us always. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. As we mentioned, uh, yesterday was Juneteenth. Uh, And if you know anything about Juneteenth, it's a day that we celebrate what we would say, what many would say is a true day of freedom. You see, uh, in schools, many of us, myself included, uh, we all learned about the Emancipation Proclamation. Where in 1863, Abraham Lincoln declared that all those who were enslaved were finally free. 1863. But what we've realized is that that was only part of the truth. That the whole truth is that it really wasn't until over two and a half years later in 1865 where we saw that the last of those that were enslaved to actually be free by the announcement that came through Union General Gordon Granger in Galveston, Texas. And many of us heard, uh, and as of uh, June 17th, just a couple days ago, 
that Juneteenth has become a federal holiday recognizing the real day of freedom from slavery, from those who were enslaved. But when I think about this story, the part that really irritates me or makes me upset the most is the understanding of the known fact that during these two and a half years when, when uh, Abraham Lincoln declared that those who were enslaved were actually free, the news didn't hit Galveston, Texas for another two and a half years. And the part that really irks me is the very fact that those who uh, enslaved the people understood and knew that, the slavery, that slavery was over. But they failed to bring that up to those they had enslaved in order for them to continue profiting and benefiting from the African-American community, people. And so oftentimes we see Juneteenth as, as the day that we, that we remember as the day that freedom was delayed. It's a story of a freedom that was delayed. It's a story of terror and as followers of Jesus, those who claim to follow and love Jesus, we must see this story for exactly what it is. It's a story of absolute disregard for, human, for humanity, for fellow image bearers. And this whole idea of being an image bearer starts from the very beginning. And there's even a theological word for this. Uh, and it's this, this Latin phrase called imago Dei, the image of God. It's this understanding that everywhere we go, everywhere we, every person that we see, whether it's work, whether it's church, whether you go down the street, whether you go to the restaurant, that there is imago Dei, that every single person that you see, that you encounter, are equally created as image bearers of God, in the likeness of God, created by God. And what we saw within those two and a half years of continual enslavement, even though it was over, and really even before that, the very fact that people were enslaving others was the understanding that there was a sense of hierarchy. That a certain people group was more human, more, more image bearers of God than others. And today, in Juneteenth, and every single day, we must remember the Imago Dei, that everybody was, no matter what they look like, no matter what language they speak, no matter their social economic, no matter what foods they eat, that we are all born and created in the image and the likeness of God. And it really isn't until we actually understand this and receive this and embrace this that the verse that we read will be impossible. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. This is the command, to love one another. Jesus says, "Command, I, I give you this command, love one another, but the very fact that you can't see other people as your equal will actually prohibit you from being able to obey this command of love one another. And so this morning, real quickly, I want to talk about three aspects of love that we find in Scripture. And it's this, the source of love, the overflow of love, and the effects of love. So let's start with the source of love. Jesus says, a new command I give you. Now, I read this quick words from Jesus where he says, uh, I give you a new command. Well, what do you mean, Jesus, that you're giving us a new command? 
The idea of love one another has been written all throughout the scriptures, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And what Jesus is saying is, is he's bringing in, uh, we would call an updated version of what the Old Testament said. In, Levit- in Leviticus 19, it says, love your neighbors, essentially love others as you love yourself. And we've all heard that before, the golden rule, love other people as you love yourself. And Jesus is saying, yes, that's good, that's right, but let me boost that up a little bit. Let me give you a little bit of an update. Here's what I want to teach And it's slightly different. He says this, love one another, not as you love yourself, but love one another as I have loved you. That's different. This isn't just an update regarding nuance or just a few, a couple of words that that were changed. It's an actual fundamental uh, paradigm shift. You see, the former in, in Leviticus is all about how to, Figure out yourself on how to drum up love and how to love others. And you see, as we continue, and really this is a continuation of our Fruit of the Spirit series that we started last week. Uh, And last week was a bit more of a general understanding of what the fruit of the Spirit is. But we have to understand that the very first aspect of the fruit is to love. Then have peace and have joy and have patience. But the, the very first thing, and I think there's a reason why, is that the very first aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is a command to love. And Jesus reiterates that. And actually, Jesus started that. Paul is just reiterating it through the fruit of the Spirit. And so Jesus begins redefining what love looks like. It's no longer the way you love yourself, love others. It's understand how I love you so you can carry that to the people around you. And so what we find in Leviticus is us in our efforts, in our own ways, in our own might, figuring out how to love others. Where is this love coming from? It's drumming up love on ourselves and from ourselves onto others. And if you're anything like me, oftentimes we fall short. We fall short. And so when Jesus comes in, he brings in uh, a different way of looking at it. If the, very, if the former, if the first aspect was knowing how to love others based on how you love yourself, Jesus is saying, you got to first understand how I love you first. And when we know that Jesus loves us, that Jesus truly loves us, that changes everything. The source of the way we love others is no longer based on what we can drum up ourselves, but receiving the love that God has already given and planted in us. That is the new command that Jesus is giving. It's a source of love that is deeper. It's a source of love that comes from God and only God. And who, which, by the way, is the author of love. I love what it says in 1 John 4, 16. It says, and so we know and rely on the love, of God, the, the, the love that God has for us because God is love. Now, when you want to learn how to love somebody, maybe someone you're close to, maybe it's a significant other, maybe it's a family member, if the command is to love them and you know you want to love them, Would you not want to love them 
directly from the source that gives love. I mean, think about it this way. I remember when I was growing up, anyone here loved Legos as a kid, right? I love Legos. But one thing I loved about Legos and slash kind of annoyed me about Legos is that I look at the picture on the box, right, and I want to build it to look just like that. And, and oftentimes, I just want to ignore the directions, right? Maybe you're like me. I didn't want to read the instructions. I didn't want to go step by step on what it's supposed to look like and what you're supposed to do. Instead, I just wanted to look at the picture and just go for it. The reality is I would always get really frustrated because at the end of the day, the product that I had looked nothing like the car or the plane or whatever you know, it had on the box. It didn't look like that, and I was always so frustrated. And I would always go to my dad and say, it looks nothing like it. And just like any other good father, he would give me advice, and he said, did you look at the instructions? Did you look at, uh, you know, essentially the source of where that's coming from so you know how to do it and how to do it well? And the answer was no, I rarely did. And oftentimes we, we, we do something like that when it comes to love. And here's the point. In order for us to love others, we must know that God loves us first. Because it's out of that love, receiving the love from the author of love, is the very way that we love other people. And when we try to do it on our own selves, on our own might, oftentimes, many times, if you're anything like me, we fail. And so here's a point. In order to love others, this is our starting point. It's to know that God loves you first. And as a pastor, I've heard so many different reasons why God couldn't love them or why God doesn't love them or why they think that God is no longer with them or why God no longer listens to them. And I have to say over and over again, this is, it sounds so simple, but I want all of us to hear that, that God loves you, that God loves you. No matter what you've done in the past, no matter whatever reason you think that God doesn't, I want to tell you that God absolutely is crazy about you and God loves you. And it's the same message that i got to tell myself over and over and over again because until we grasp that, that we are truly loved by God, it will be difficult, darn near impossible, to love others the way God has loved them. And so God loves you. And out of that love... The love that God has for us, it becomes an overflow. It becomes a byproduct of how we live and how we treat people, kind of like what we talked about last week. The English word, when it says, uh, love others as I have loved you, is an interesting word. And the English word is just as, love others as I have loved you. And the Greek word is this Greek word, kathos. And kathos is not necessarily a comparison word, like a simile or a metaphor, uh, but it's more of a causative word. And in other words, if we were to kind of reread this or rewrite this in the original Greek, it wouldn't just say, love others as I have loved you. It would say something like, because I have loved you, you are now able to take that love to love others. And then I want, to look, I want us to look at a second word. Well, really, the word love. 
And in the English word, there's really one word for love, right? It's love. We love our fathers. We love our mothers. We love God. We love our friends. We love our spouses. We love our family members. Uh, But also, we use the same word to say, I love, you know, the other day I found myself saying, I love cheeseburgers, right? I, I love curly fries from Jack in the Box. I love this TV show. I love this shirt, whatever it is. It, it, there really isn't a vastness of the word love, but when we look in the Greek language, we see that. We see that there's at least three ways to describe love. It's the word eros, where we get the word erotic. We get the word philea, which means a friendship love. And then we get the word agape. And maybe many of you have heard the word agape before, but it denotes, especially in the Greek culture, the highest form of love. And many of us, we deem it as unconditional love. And this is the kind of love that can really has only been seen to, for us to get from God and God alone. It's not, this kind of agape love is not the kind of love that we are able to stir up by our own selves. And so my encouragement for all of us this morning is this. Let's not try to stir up or drum up our own love. May we first and foremost understand that God loves us so much And it's out of that particular love that we are able to love others. And so as I invite the worship team back up, I want us to ask ourselves this question. In what ways have we failed to love our neighbor? In what ways have we tried to do love without first understanding God's love for us? And so maybe for many of us, the starting point in order for us to love others, the fruit of the Spirit that God wants us to have is understand that God loves us first. And maybe that is the starting point for you. May we receive that this morning. May we believe that this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have loved us so much. And outside, and with that love, may we love those around us. May we love those that are even hard to love because we know that we're also that way many times. So God, we thank you for your graciousness. We thank you for your compassion. May we love the way you love others. In your name we pray. Amen and amen.